Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Mondays. I hope you had spectacular Thanksgivings. I hope that you all are having a good start to your week. We got a lot to dive into. Uh, college football playoff picture, I think almost set, I will discuss. I was up in Columbus for Michigan-Ohio State. I came back and went to Tennessee-Vanderbilt, uh, uh, Big Ten and SEC games that I got to see in person, I will discuss. U.S. playing Iran tomorrow to determine whether uh, we're going to advance as a country into the knockout stage of the World Cup, I will discuss. Uh, China, uh, ridiculousness, Deshaun Watson is back, Auburn coaching drama. We got a lot, a lot to discuss here. Uh, But I want to start with the college football playoff picture. In my opinion, conference title games are worthless. I have been anti-conference title games for years. If you watch and you read and you listen to my opinions on college football, you know that I have been anti-college football uh, conference title games for as long as you can basically imagine. That's why I believe there are now three teams that are already set for the college football playoff no matter what happens in the conference title games. In order, Georgia should be the one seed, Michigan should be the two seed, and TCU right now should be the three seed. Those could get adjusted based on what happens in the conference title games, but all three of those teams should be in the college football playoff. And if you read my starting 11, 11-1 USC is playing against Utah. Maybe, possibly, if Utah wins, they could knock USC out. But I'm not even sure that should be true because who has a better resume right now than Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC? Sitting on the outside, you have got a uh, 11-1 Ohio State team, which I'll get to in a moment, but just lost by 22 at home, got absolutely whipped 45 to 23. Uh, I was there. I got that pick wrong. I will discuss. As if that were not enough, you also have, and this is important, you also have uh, Alabama, which I believe should be ranked behind Tennessee. Both those teams are sitting at 10 and 2. None of those teams are in any way involved in games on Saturday. So why should, I mean, this is just an honest question, why should teams that aren't playing on conference championship game day get elevated into the playoff when they're sitting at home with their feet kicked up on the couch? Now, just think about it for a minute. We also already know who the best teams are in every conference, meaning really conference championship games are often just 
complete and total money grabs. We know the best team in the SEC. It's Georgia. They went 12-0. It doesn't matter what 9-3 LSU does against Georgia. We know the Georgia Bulldogs are the best team in the SEC this year. We know that Michigan is, at 12-0, the best team in the Big Ten this year. We know that TCU, at 12-0, is the best team in the Big 12. They've already beaten everybody. We know that USC is the best team in the Pac-12. They finished with the best record, and the team they're playing against, Utah, lost two Pac-12 games and lost to 6-6 Florida. We know that Clemson, even though they're not great, is the best team in the ACC. They're better than North Carolina. Those are all five of the Power Five conference teams. Why are we requiring the five teams that we already know are the best to play another game against an inferior opponent when we already know the five best teams? I would rather get into the college football playoff faster, personally, in a larger context. I'm excited at least about the 12-team college football playoff, but I'd rather get rid of the entirety of the college football conference title game system. And don't even get me started on the absurdity of divisions and how little sense they make. I'll give you my top 10 right now. uh, And uh, you guys can argue amongst yourselves about whether or not you agree with my top 10. Uh, But breaking down this entire top 10, uh, let me get into it. I hit the wrong wrong button here. My top 10 right now, number one, beyond a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion, Georgia. Number two, Michigan. Number three, TCU. Number four, USC. Five, six, and seven. Five, in my opinion, Ohio State. I don't deserve, they, I don't think they deserve to go to the college football playoff. I'll talk about that a bit more uh, as we continue. I've got Tennessee above Alabama, which I will explain here shortly. Uh, I just don't understand how you could possibly rank Alabama above Tennessee. Uh, Then I have Penn State at eight. And then I I think the top eight is pretty set in stone. I think you can argue about who deserves to be ninth and tenth. I've got Washington and Kansas State as my final two. There's a variety of teams that you could have in that category, in that area. Uh, My SEC power rankings, Georgia 1, Tennessee 2, Alabama three, LSU four, uh, and then I've got South Carolina five, Mississippi State six, Ole Miss seven, Kentucky eight, Missouri nine, Arkansas 10, Florida 11, Texas A&M 12, although they got the big win over uh, LSU, Vanderbilt 13, and Auburn 14. All right, let me explain Tennessee why I believe they have to be above Alabama. When Tennessee and Alabama were not close in the rankings, you could argue, oh, okay, Alabama deserves to be ranked above Tennessee. They just beat Ole Miss. Tennessee lost to South Carolina. All those things. Season's complete. Tennessee finished 10-2. and Alabama finished 10-2. and They both went 6-2 and in the conference. Tennessee beat Alabama head-to-head. In every tiebreak scenario on the planet, Tennessee would get the tiebreak because they beat Alabama head-to-head. Tennessee also beat LSU by 27 in Baton Rouge and Alabama lost to them. Tennessee's losses at Georgia, Alabama didn't have to play Georgia, 
And at South Carolina, Alabama didn't have to play South Carolina. On top of that, Tennessee and Alabama played two opponents. Tennessee beat uh, LSU by way more. They actually beat LSU, unlike Alabama, who lost nearly a 30-point swing there. 28 points, I believe, to be exact. And, as if that were not crazy enough, Tennessee also beat Vanderbilt. I was at this game in the rain with my kids by a more substantial margin than Alabama beat Vanderbilt. So they had two common opponents. Tennessee beat them both by larger amounts. Tennessee beat Alabama head-to-head. And the two teams that Tennessee lost to, Alabama did not play. Tennessee beat Alabama. And the other team that Alabama lost to, LSU, Tennessee beat them. All right? The reason why LSU is going to the college, uh, to the SEC championship game, despite finishing with a worse record than Alabama, is because uh, LSU ended up with the same record as Alabama and the tie break won them the SEC West. This is not controversial. So how is it when you look at all of the metrics that the college football playoff claims that they care about, how is it that uh, when you break this down, Tennessee has a tougher strength of schedule. They played better opponents. They were better in the head-to-head. They won. They have better wins against the top 25. Everybody's like, oh, you lost to South Carolina. Well, South Carolina is now ranked number 20. So Tennessee played four top 20 opponents. They won two, and they lost two. Better than almost any other team that's highly ranked. Uh, And Tennessee's better against common opponents than Alabama was. So head-to-head, better against common opponents, tougher schedule, and better results against top 25 opponents. Remember, Alabama's best win, probably 8-4 and four Texas, maybe 8-4 and four Mississippi State, maybe 8-4 and four Ole Miss. Alabama lost to the two teams they played this year who had nine or more wins, and they didn't beat anybody ranked higher than 20th in the country. Tennessee beat LSU, I think ranked 11 right now, and they beat Alabama. If Alabama had the exact same resume as Tennessee and had lost two games by double digits but had beaten Tennessee head-to-head, are you really arguing with me that any Alabama fan on the planet would say, oh, okay, well, you lost by too many points in these other two games Therefore, it overrules and overrides the head-to-head result even though we have the same exact record overall. No, nobody would argue that. Put it another way. Instead of Alabama, which obviously has a brand of excellence under Nick Saban, if Tennessee and Arkansas were both 10-2, 6-2 in the SEC, and Tennessee had beaten Arkansas head-to-head, is there any way that Arkansas would be ranked above Tennessee? Of course not. So look, it it may not matter because I don't think Tennessee or Alabama or Ohio State, frankly, deserves to be in the playoff over the four teams that are in the playoff right now. And if TCU wins and if USC wins, there's going to be no debate at all. But for purposes of the playoff rankings mattering and for on-field results mattering, I don't see how Tennessee is not ranked above Alabama. Period. Seems like a relatively easy argument to make. I'm surprised that more people aren't looking at the numbers and making the argument because there's not much debate uh, about the top four. 
the debate really comes in at five, six, and seven. And if you're saying, well, Hendon Hooker's injured now, okay, Joe Milton, who built, beat out Hendon Hooker before, came in and Tennessee just won 56 to nothing over Vanderbilt, a Vanderbilt team that just beat Florida and just beat Kentucky, got absolutely waxed, worse than they have by any opponent all season by Tennessee with Joe Milton at quarterback. Seems like kind of a decent uh, test case scenario. Plus, Joe Milton has come in and actually performed pretty well in backup roles, just tossing that out there. Now, I predicted that Ohio State would beat Michigan. I had a phenomenal time in Columbus, Ohio. Fantastic town. I met tons of Ohio State fans, tons of Michigan fans. Everybody was great to me. I got the picker on. I really thought that C.J. Stroud would be a lot better than anything, especially combined with Marvin Harrison Jr., who's the best wide receiver in college football. I really thought that Ohio State's offense, given the injury to Corum, given the fact that we haven't seen J.J. make very many plays in the passing game in the grand scheme of things, would be far more explosive and far more dominant in this game uh, than what we saw. I thought that opening drive by Ohio State when they went up 7-0 would be the determining factor, uh, that the offense for Ohio State would be just too much for Michigan. I was wrong. Wolverines dominated Ohio State. Now, I've got Ohio State as the fifth best team in college football right now. I think they're more deserving than Alabama. Ohio State is to be five because they beat Penn State, top 10 win, and they also beat Notre Dame, uh, which is a top 20-ish win. Having said that, depending, unless USC just gets blown out of the sky by Utah and loses for a second straight team game to Utah, I don't know why Ohio State or Alabama or Tennessee would deserve to go to the college football playoff over USC or TCU for that matter if TCU were to lose to Kansas State. We play the regular season to find out who the best teams are. If Ohio State were still playing in the Big Ten title, remember the year that Ohio State won the title with Urban Meyer, they obliterated, if I remember correctly, Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game uh, with a third-string quarterback playing for them, Cardell Jones. That was a difference maker uh, because you could add a new bit of uh, data point to that. And remember, that's why TCU and Baylor, if I remember correctly, got left out of that playoff scenario because Ohio State was able to elevate into that four spot based on winning the Big Ten. But if you're just sitting at home, I don't know why you would deserve to get in again if you're Ohio State, if you're Alabama. I think Alabama should be behind Tennessee, and I also don't think Tennessee should be in uh, because the resumes overall of the four teams in front of them are flat out better. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So, I got the Michigan-Ohio State picker on. 
Michigan fans blew up my mentions, including including my own wife, who is a Michigan grad, grad, who also lit me up. So all of that was a uh, was a big mess uh, by and large. And so uh, this in and of itself uh, is to me a huge win for Jim Harbaugh, who now is two and one against Ryan Day. It's a massive loss for Ryan Day. You have to wonder, is there a massive drop-off going on uh, as we continue to break down that scenario going forward? So all of this uh, deserves to be examined, discussed uh, in, in, in serious way uh, going forward. But to me, those are the four teams that are most deserving of being in the college football playoff. All right, a couple of other big stories that are out there. Auburn coaching drama. I would go hire Hugh Freeze. Lane Kiffin, as I predicted he would do, eventually decided to stay at Ole Miss. Turned down the overtures from Auburn. To me, that's a next man up scenario. You go get Hugh Freeze. I don't think this is a challenging decision for Auburn. I think you have to be prepared in the event that your top target says no. And to me, Hugh Freeze is a guy who will win at a high level at Auburn. If the longer this search goes on, the messier it gets for Auburn. I've been through a few of these messy coaching searches before at Tennessee. To me, Hugh Freeze, as long as he wins, nobody's going to care about Hugh Freeze's background. This is one of those things that I think gets overrated massively. If you win, nothing else matters to fans. People say, oh, look at what Hugh Freeze did at Ole Miss. Look at what he did in the past. As soon as he wins... As soon as he beats Alabama like he did at Ole Miss, nobody's going to care about anything in Hugh Freeze's background at all. Initially, people will complain. Ultimately, this is a winning business, and if you win, there are zero issues associated with it. And I think he's going to win. I would go hire Hugh Freeze if I were Auburn. How about the work of the Fox Sports employees over the weekend and over the long holiday? U.S. England, third highest watched, third most watched soccer game in the history of the United States, uh, men's soccer. Uh, The uh, women's soccer playing for the World Cup championship has had massive audiences. But U.S. England, one of the biggest audiences, I think third largest men's soccer match audience in United States history. Giants-Cowboys, 42 million viewers for Giants-Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That is the biggest audience for a regular season NFL game ever. 42 million viewers. Giants-Cowboys, biggest audience for an NFL regular season game of all time. And the game that I was at, Michigan-Ohio State, 17 million viewers the biggest and most watched college football game in the regular season of the year. Guys, sometimes I have to pinch myself. I was writing on uh, the internet, very competitive place, the internet, uh, about 18 years ago from a Virgin Islands law office with an audience of zero. On Saturday... I was standing on the sideline with Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, Brady Quinn, Urban uh, Urban Meyer, uh, Mike Hill, 
Uh, a lot of times Rob Stone working with that guy who's a total stud at his job. I was on the sideline for the most watched college football game in years as a part of the pregame on Big Noon. Um, I think that I have the best jobs in America by far, hands down, no difficulty whatsoever. I am incredibly thankful for all of you as we continue to bolster and build a bigger and bigger audience at OutKick. It is beyond a shadow of a doubt. Many thanks to you guys for allowing that to happen uh, with um, as we continue to move forward. So many awesome things to come, but I want to say thank you for letting me do this job. I also want to give a tremendous amount of credit to all the behind-the-scenes people who were working literally around the world to make sure that the U.S.-England World Cup match on Friday, that Giants-Cowboys on Thursday, and that Michigan-Ohio State on Saturday, not to mention the NFL games on Sunday, were able to take place. So many behind-the-scenes Fox Sports employees who you will never meet, who you will never know. I don't even know all of them. I know a lot of them. But they were away from their families, making sure that they could bring these games to you and that you would be able to watch them. That is a tremendous credit to the culture at Fox Sports that we were able to deliver on so many different massive levels on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday the biggest audience that has ever existed, all put together in a weekend of sports, probably ever, that doesn't involve the Super Bowl. And oh, by the way, Fox has got the Super Bowl too, which should be pretty phenomenal in February out in the Phoenix area. I can't wait to get out there. Uh, Elon Musk is now going to war, if you've been paying attention, uh, with Apple. There are a lot of advertisers that have pulled their ad spending on Twitter because they're upset at Elon Musk. Uh, and Apple is threatening to potentially remove Twitter from their app store. Uh, Elon obviously paid $44 billion for Twitter and is in the process of building something better. In the first part, though, he has fired 75%, basically, or forced out 75% of Twitter employees and the site seems to be working, at least according to the metrics, new signups, amount of tweets, better than it ever has before. Elon is also wildly entertaining. Uh, Buck said on our show earlier, and I think he's right, Elon Musk gets more attention for his tweets than anybody this side of Donald Trump. And so I've got an idea, maybe a crazy idea. This feud with Apple could lead to Elon Musk deciding to build his own phone. He's already remade the car industry and remade the rocket chip industry. I don't see any reason why he couldn't make his own phone as well. Also, Apple's perfectly fine with having slave labor produce its phones in China, but it draws the line at people being able to tweet whatever they want uh, uh, on, uh, on Twitter as an unacceptable brand association. And let me just point this out too. All these woke American corporations and woke international corporations are spending money hand over fist on the World Cup in the Middle East where you can get beheaded if you're gay. They're not saying a word about any of the laws in those countries. And then in the United States, they go ahead and they trash our country to the, uh, to the nth degree over woke politics. 
It's absurd. By the way, got a little bit of a cold fighting through it. Could be COVID. I don't know. Uh, since COVID and cold are virtually indistinguishable now. Uh, but I think it's a cold. Um, but why wouldn't Elon Musk buy all of Fox? Think about it. You've got the entire infrastructure of Fox News, the Fox Broadcast Network. You've got the Wall Street Journal. You've got the New York Post, all these other assets out there that you could combine with Twitter and create an entire economy for the 70% of the United States population that is not woke. Just think about it for a moment. If Elon wants to build something bigger than just a social media company, and if he wants to roll all of that into a larger media entity, to me, there is value in going and buying all the Fox assets, including the company that I sold to Fox, OutKick. Um, now look, this is just me freelancing. It's not like I talk, the execs say, hey, you know, great business move. No, this is just me. If Elon truly wants to build a counterculture business for the 70% of Americans who are not woke, and he wants to go to war with the New York Times and ABC and NBC and CBS and the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, by the way, and all these different entities that are deciding to pull their advertising and everything else with him, why not create your own massive media company like Rupert Murdoch already has designed to appeal to the 70% of the population that hasn't lost their mind in woke insanity. This is what we did with OutKick. We built a $100 million brand and business that uh, serves 70% of sports fans, maybe 80%, maybe 90%, a huge majority that isn't woke and that isn't sitting around on social media offended all day long. And our audience is skyrocketing. We're having a great deal of success building that audience. We already did it. Piers Elon's going to try to do it on a much bigger scale with, uh, with Twitter. Why not bring in even more assets to create a full-on media company that competes on all levels with the legacy mainstream outlets? Just an idea that I'm tossing out. U.S. and Iran are playing tomorrow. I understand that some of you do not like soccer. This is a massive moment for the United States what would be a huge win against a totalitarian regime in Iran uh, that is lecturing American soccer players and coaches on political issues and freedom. It's unbelievable that they would even attempt to do this, but that is what they are in the business of. And I would love, I would absolutely love to see the U.S., and I think we will, beat Iran tomorrow and move into the knockout stage this is a big match, 2 o'clock Eastern on Fox, that I would encourage all of you to watch. Speaking of the World Cup, Chinese protests have broken out over COVID lockdowns. It's taken a long time, but China is still staying committed to the zero COVID policy, which means when they have a few cases break out, they lock down the country, they shut down business, travel, all those things, make people stay in their apartments and their homes. Um Chinese people are finally standing up to it. And China is becoming so desperate to keep their people from seeing the truth that they are, the Chinese government is, 
editing out any shots from World Cup broadcast of maskless fans. Now, you may not realize this, but FIFA controls the camera feeds of the World Cup, and they share it with everybody around the world. So whether you're in Saudi Arabia or Ghana or uh, Brazil or the United States, the footage that you see of the game itself is the same including fan reaction shots. China is so troubled by the fact that no fans are wearing masks in the Middle East that they are editing out, reportedly, all of the crowd shots so their people don't realize how much the rest of the world has gotten back to normal and they want to continue to treat them as if they are, uh, as if wearing masks and being locked down and everything else is still normal. China is the enemy beyond a shadow of a doubt. We have to remember that. Deshaun Watson, now back for the Cleveland Browns. I believe he is officially back as their starting quarterback this week. And of course, who are they playing of all teams? The Houston Texans. Look, I've been on the record for a long time as saying that if you're not in prison, you should be able to play for a pro sports franchise if they want to sign you. I'm not changing my opinion on that. But I do think who gets canceled and who doesn't is fascinating. Deshaun Watson has settled, I believe, with over 30 different masseuses who have accused him of sexual assault, and yet he's able to sign the biggest and most lucrative contract in the history of the NFL. There's this idea out there that has taken root for the past several years that the NFL is fundamentally racist. I disagree 1 billion percent. The only thing the NFL cares about is your production. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, green, purple, they don't care. All they want is to make more money. And the Browns believe that Deshaun Watson is going to win them games, which will make them more money, which is why they are paying him so much and why they are willing to support him, even though he's been accused of sexual assault against 30 masseuses. What is interesting, however, is the way that the sports media covers this. They pretend that Deshaun Watson uh, is, uh, is, is not as big of a story as it would be. I just want you to think about what would have happened if it had been a white quarterback. My argument is race of the quarterback doesn't matter. Race of the player doesn't matter at all, right? But if a white quarterback had been accused of sexually assaulting 30 different women, and if he had gotten the largest contract in the history of the NFL, They would be losing their mind in the sports media. With Deshaun Watson coming back, almost none of the usual suspects are going to say a word because he happens to be a black quarterback. I'm crazy, I know, because I try to the best of my ability to treat everybody the exact same, no matter what their background is. I encourage all of you to do the same. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick, the show. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I'll see you guys tomorrow.